everyone, and welcome to Minute 2 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Jake Cluett of the Deep Lucy podcast and the upcoming Con Air podcast. Welcome back to the show, Jake. Thank you, Rob. I'm, I'm cutting furrows into my carpet with my toes right now. Uh, well, as, as long as you're no longer gripping the armrest... As tensely as you were yesterday, you haven't got an armrest. Is the problem? Uh, a bloody office chair with no armrest. So all yeah. I can do is dig dig troughs in my carpet. It's a problem. Yeah. All right. So minute two begins with McLean finishing his question and ends with a man struggling with his suitcase on the luggage carousel. So yesterday we ended things as the the plane landed, or we pretty much started the same way we ended things because <laughs> not much really happened in. In that minute, even though we 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 had a nice long discussion, regardless. <laughs> but so the businessman sitting next to John McLean says to him, "Hi, oh, you don't like flying, do you?" And McLean's response was, "What gives you that idea?" So we actually learned the word idea today because we didn't hear it yesterday. So then he decides to give him a little bit of of advice. He says, "You want to know the secret to surviving air travel?" After you get where you're going, take off your shoes and your socks. Then you walk around on the rug barefoot and make fists with your toes. Now, what I find really funny, you know, we, we, we always talk about the fact of, you know, Chekhov's gun, Chekhov's uh, trombone, which we had in uh, The Great Escape. And, and here, you know, it, I guess you can call it Chekhov's fist with your toes. Is that what you want to call it? I guess it would be Chekhov's naked feet. Chekhov's naked feet. There you go. That, uh, you know, it, it it works out well that, you know, anyone who's seen this movie knows where this is going. You know, even though it's just mentioned. It's not shown yet, but it's mentioned. Yeah. So it, it's funny that 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 the the screenwriter thought of this idea of having him get this advice, which would later play very much into the whole plot. But I, feel, I, I can't say for definite, but I feel like the first time I saw this, I didn't kind of click. Like when he's barefoot later in the film, I didn't click that was for a reason. So well, I of course not. Like, that, that's the thing. Most of the time, when you see a movie for the first time, you're not gonna you're not gonna look at every little thing and say, "Oh, this is gonna appear later. This is gonna appear later." You're gonna think yeah. you're not gonna think about it. That's I think it's part of the whole point. It wasn't until like a few times later when I, I was like paying attention. Kind of like the opening of a film is you don't always pay attention to what's going on. Right. I mean, obviously, obviously, you should, uh, especially if you're like making notes for a podcast. Yes, uh, but like the, the kind of the setup dialogue, the opening lines, it's it's rarely as integral to the plot as <laughs> as this turns out to be. Yes, but but I like it. I like the way that they, they you know they're 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 leaving us breadcrumbs. Yeah, you know, and yes. this movie does that a lot. This isn't the only place where they're going to do that, and that works. You know. So then uh, McLean looks at him and goes, fist with your toes? And he, he, the businessman starts to laugh and says, I know, I know. It sounds crazy. Trust me. I've been doing it for nine years. Yes, sir. Better than a shower and a hot cup of coffee. So how did this guy come across this, come upon this solution? Did he just get home one day, take off his shoes and socks, stand on a rug? I have a feeling. I have a feeling that he used to have problems flying, but as a businessman, he's flying all over the place. And at some point, someone gave him this advice. I think it's like a pass it forward type of thing. But at some point, somebody Paid had forward. to start it. 
and come up with uh, not, not just stand there and do it but also work out that that's making him feel better from having been bad also how how does this help being nervous on a flight yeah because you're, you're doing this after you've landed yeah um, and and you're you're like maybe it takes you an hour to get your hotel and then you're gonna try and calm down you're, you're not right. calm already you're not already it, on on the ground you know he should say when you're on the plane take off your shoes and socks no and he shouldn't making... because that would make you a bad person uh... <laughs> but that's today <laughs> As long as you don't have a shoe bomb, you're good, you know. Well, I'm just going to be like, if you're barefoot on a plane, then yes. I don't want to know you. Yeah. Uh, but. Hey, come on, like, Dale took off his shoes and socks on the plane. and. Uh, yep. Don't want to know. <laughs> no, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I, 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 I can't stand. Like, if, it, if you did this before the flight, maybe he's sitting there the whole flight thinking, okay, just got to get through this. When I get to the hotel. Oh, the, the, my my barking dogs! I'm gonna gonna take off those shoes and socks, and I'm gonna oh, I'm gonna get right in that carpet. Oh, I can't wait! It's yeah. just, it's just <laughs> so that's something to look forward to. That's true, very true. So the fetish that this guy has completely. So he he basically suggests he gets the hotel that's all hardwood floors. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good point. Are there other hotel rooms that are that have hardwood floors like that? There must be. Or they mostly have. Uh, there must be. It's true. Yeah. And so he says it's better than a shower and a cup of coffee, a hot cup of coffee. Okay. So coffee, I'm not going to go into because we already discussed that last, you know, oh, good. last season. The origin so of the anyone, shower. Wonderful. Anyone, <laughs> anyone who wants to hear about the origin of coffee and information about coffee, you can go back and look at uh, season two, episode nine. It was. Uh, you know, minute nine of plane chairs and automobiles, where I go into a very in-depth discussion about coffee. But today we're actually going to go into showers. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you know about showers, Jay? <laughs> well, I, they generally involve a water source above the head, poured onto the head. I'm guessing initially developed by cavemen standing on a waterfall, and they think, "Hey, I like this. Let's do this you, at home." You're very close. You're very close. Well, first of all, as as you mentioned, a shower is a place where someone can bathe under a spray of typically warm or hot water. And usually there is a drain in the floor if it's indoors. Okay. In, in Western culture, most people uh, shower because it's more efficient than using a bathtub. And uh, hygiene wise, it's also supposedly better because you're not, you know, lying in, in your own filth. It takes up less space in a bathroom. It takes up less space, and it also takes up less time. So as you said, the the original showers were neither indoor structures nor man-made, but they were waterfalls. That's right. I love a good waterfall. Because people found that it was much more efficient to bathe in a waterfall than to have to take all your water and put it into some sort of basin and then carry it all the way to wherever you were living and do it. You can just do it all there. So at this point, they reached reached the idea that they could also do it themselves by just pouring jugs of water on people. But mostly those were very cold. So the the ancient Greeks were the first people to actually have showers because they had some form of indoor plumbing. But the first mechanical shower that was operated by a hand pump was patented in England in 1767 by a man named William uh, Feetham. Shower. William Shower. <laughs> William Shower, who was a stovemaker from Ludgate Hill in London. 
and he made this contraption that would have that had a pump that would force the water into a vessel above the user's head and if you pulled the chain it would release the water onto the person <laughs> like yeah. a toilet flush basically <laughs> <laughs> well i guess i guess it comes from the same same, yeah, same yeah. idea you know you have water stored in a particular compartment and you pull a chain and it just falls on you you know it's the different so, speed yeah yeah that's right showering is generally faster than bathing and usually uses less water which is why many people use it yep and if you want to hear anything more about that you can probably try and go find it yourself i'm not gonna i, I decided i'm gonna keep this one short because i i actually had four pages of notes about showers and it was just too much <laughs> not needed thank you that's for sure. uh, you're very welcome that's appreciated. <laughs> you're very welcome <laughs> <laughs> and then we get um the, there's ringing sounds on the plane and what's funny is is that the ringing sound usually tells you that okay we've stopped and now you can get up but the plane is still moving as they have those ringing sounds and people just start getting up which usually happens anyway you know yeah. most people most people still get up even before the plane you know taxis to to where it needs to go i personally and one of those people that will sit in my seat and wait until just about everyone gets off because what's the point of standing in the aisle having people push you back and forth it's not like you're going to get out any quicker unless you are really close to the exit see i i i stand up i i don't i don't stand up knowing that i'm going to get out any quicker i think i am i stand up because i've been sat down for such a long time like fl flights i want tend to be five eight at 12 hours like go to china or whatever uh, so by the end of that, I want to stand up. So like to, to, to start like get some movement in your legs kind of thing. So I, I know that I see people have issues with like, oh, why are you standing up with the plane's landing? You can't go anywhere, but they've turned the TVs off. Like I could try and read a book, but everyone's busting around me. So I'm well just stand up and start getting stuff ready and, and get and just, you know, start moving. Right. Okay. I guess it also depends on where you are on the plane. If you're in one of the back rows, then it's really no point in you standing there. I, I, I mean, because you're also not going to be able to stand up straight. You're going to be standing up. This is uh, true. Hunched, yeah. This is hunched, true. hunched up because you're standing by your seat. You're not in the yeah. aisle yet. And then you have to push your way into the aisle. So. Yeah. But I, I, I never have a problem with people standing up when the plane lands. All right. No, I don't have a problem either. Just I want them to get off the plane as quickly as possible. Yeah. So that I can get off. You know, that's a thing. Okay. So then uh, John McLean stands up and he starts getting his stuff out of the overhead compartment. And... The businessman looks over in shock as he sees that McLean actually has a gun. Exactly. On a plane. On a plane. Now, so I decided to, to look up about whether, you know, what, what were the laws like in the 80s about that? And what are the laws today? I so, can tell you what they are today. Today is no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> today, even, even. I think only the federal marshals are the ones that are allowed to have guns on a plane. A anyone else, even if they're they're transporting prisoners, hint hint, Conair, yep. right? The 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 guns cannot be on the the officer themselves. They're supposed to be given to the pilot, which won't yeah, do very did. much good if something happens. But well, it didn't go well for the guy in Conair who had the who had the gun. Right, in, that's in, true. His ankle. It did not work well for him. That is true. Right, so. That is true. So. Back in the 80s, it was actually allowed. A cop who was either on duty or off duty was allowed to carry a gun on a plane. They'd have to have this special card 
which we'll, we'll, we'll get to when we talk about it the... It just says, I am not a terrorist, laminated. <laughs> <laughs> More or less. But, they, they, you know, did they really know in 1988 as much about terrorists as we do today? I don't know. There, there, it wasn't that there wasn't terrorism, but it wasn't the same well, on the same scale. I mean, later in this film, people assume people have been accused of being terrorists, but no, they're just common thieves. That's right. That's true. No, they're exceptional thieves. Exceptional. <laughs> exceptional thieves. And now that I'm moving up to kidnapping, you should watch what you say. So oh, one of the things that I noticed, or I was, I was looking about today, so people are allowed to check a gun in baggage, okay, but you can't have it in your carry-on. And you have to, there, there's all these different rules that you need to follow in order to do it. But apparently in 2021, the the, the TSA what, had stopped 4,495 different airline passengers who were trying to carry firearms onto the flights themselves, you know, that they caught. <laughs> and they say that this surpassed the number from two years earlier, which was 4,432, which was the record. So they, they, I wish they... I was surprised by this. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I know too many Americans. <laughs> Apparently, they they've discovered they they usually discover eleven guns in carry on bags for every million passengers that they screen. I I hope they're getting all of them. <laughs> my I'm assumption really is not. my assumption is they're not. <laughs> but, I, mean, uh, I I I do kind of get the mindset of people who are trying it's like oh what if there's another nine uh, eleven kind of thing I want to be on there with my gun just in case, but. <sighs> Stop it, people. Just, just that, if, if that would have happened, you would probably do far more harm than good. There's a lot of people around the terrorists that you're likely to hit. But anyway, just just yeah. people listening to this podcast, stop taking guns on planes. Yes. And do you know what? what the, the, I'm gonna, I'll quickly list the 10 cities that have the most people who have tried to get guns into uh, onto the airport, onto the airplane. Are they all in Texas? No. <laughs> Already no. in Texas. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. So you have Salt Lake City, which had 90, Phoenix okay. 147, Denver 107. This is all for 2021. Dallas uh, 88, Dallas Fort Worth, which is a different airport in there, 232. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right. Um, Atlanta 391. Um, you have. In Mississippi, 90. Florida, 107. Uh, Houston, another another one in, in Texas, 168. So the, the furthest north we've gone so far is Colorado. And that yes. was for one of these. <laughs> Everything else yeah. has been, been very south. Like, yeah. So, no, yeah. And, and thinking about it, I mean, let, let's see, 232, 168, and 88. How, is it, how much is that just from Texas itself? You were too fast for the numbers there. I, I don't know. I'll, I'll say them again. You can, you can try and do your math. 232, 88, and 168. Uh, so that is uh, 447, 478. Wow. <laughs> I think, yeah. Yeah, 478. Okay. And the, the final one is from Nashville, 115. 
Yeah. Right. So how much did you say? 400 and... 478. 478. So the closest was Atlanta with 391. And that's out of 4,495. That, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, no, it is sadly too believable. And these are the top 10, obviously. Yeah. There, there were 248 different airports that, that they found firearms in. That's, that's, that's too many airports. Yes. <laughs> just, just in general. It's just yeah. too many airports. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's too many guns. <laughs> too many guns when people who, who have another way of getting the, the gun on the airplane. You know, legally. Yeah, you don't they have to have it on. on. <laughs> That's it. They, they, want to, they want to be strapped. They want to be packing just in case. Mm, could be. Could Fools. Be. That's right. So McLean looks over to him and, you know, he, he looks at him and says, trust me, I've been doing it for nine years. So but he says, he says 11. Years. No, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. So McLean looks over at him and says to him, it's okay. I'm a cop. Trust me. I've been doing it for 11 years. Yeah. Cause I, so I was wondering this, this takes place Christmas Eve. Obviously is, yes. is that is it Christmas Eve 88 or 87? 88. 88. Okay. So, so uh, McLean joined the force in 77. Yes. Do we think it was a direct response to seeing Star Wars? Like he saw Star Wars and thought, oh, this bloody smuggler, this Han Solo guy, don't like him. He needs to be brought down. This Empire, these these guys seem like they're they're on the up and up. I'm gonna go join the police. I don't know. John McClane doesn't necessarily look like the type of, of sci-fi fan. You know, he would be more of an action fan. So, yeah. you know, if you can try and think of, of a movie from 76, maybe it happened after Jaws in 76? I don't know. 75. Now, it's just two years. It's too late. Because if, if, if John McClane like is Keith the same Brody. age... There you go. <laughs> if John McClane is the same age as Bruce Willis... So he was he was 33 at the time, right? Which means that if he joined 11 years earlier, it means he was 22 when he joined. You know, it was with, a direct result of seeing Orca. That's what we're saying. Maybe. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> that's the best you can do for 1977. He saw it as well. Orca, we talked about it in the podcast recently. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. That's why it's in my head. I know. Uh, Smoke, Smokey and the Bandit. He's like, oh, there's this bandit. I want to catch him. Right. Uh, oh no, is the bandit the car or the guy? I forget. Right. No, the bandit is 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 the guy. Okay. It's yeah. The there we go. He he joined the force to catch uh, Burt Reynolds. There you go. He, he didn't want him to to be John McClane in a few years time. <laughs> well, he already turned it down, so you know that's fine. Ah, not yet. That's why <laughs> that's why McClane joined the force to prevent him from being Burt Reynolds. Like this has become too metal. Yeah, completely. So, first of all, I think it's a great way for, for them to, to actually let us know that he's a cop. You know, it's a somewhat subtle way for, for us to, to find out. <laughs> so that is having way to... is him saying I'm a cop. No, by looking at his gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> by having his gun in the holster. Come on. Yeah, I, now, I know. <laughs> but, but, but on the other hand, how do, how do we know he's telling the truth? You know. This is true. He didn't yeah. show him a badge. He just showed him a gun. It's a different time. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure if the guy had asked to see his badge, he would have had his badge to show him. But... Right. And then we, we hear over the PA, we hear the flight attendant say, on behalf of your captain and crew, we'd like to welcome you to Los Angeles. Have a very Merry Christmas. 
And so while this where they are, said, when it is. That's right. While they're, while this is being said, so John opens up the overhead compartment and takes out this huge teddy bear. Okay. Yes. Which now, could not have been comfortably stored in that overhead compartment. That's going to be comfortable up for and who? folded. Oh, but I, I don't think the bear would notice if it was comfortable or not. I mean, you clearly <laughs> haven't seen Toy Story. Okay. Very <laughs> <laughs> true. That's very true. <laughs> now, have you ever seen this teddy bear before? Uh, yes, I've seen Die Hard many times. <laughs> no, have you ever seen this teddy bear <laughs> elsewhere? No. Okay, this is the same teddy bear that appears in The Hunt for October. Okay, I have seen that, but did not did not uh, remember in, or in the very the last bear. scene we see Alec Baldwin, you know, taking a flight back to uh, England. And he has a, this large teddy bear sitting in the seat next to him. That's uh, something that he's bringing for his daughter. Fair enough. So uh, obviously John McTiernan directed both these movies. We talked yep. enough about John McTiernan yesterday. <laughs> and the, the bear enjoys uh, air travel. Yes, that is true. But Alec Baldwin puts on a seat. Bruce, Bruce Willis, not so much. Well, because I guess it all depends on how much room you have. Yeah. You know, here he's got this, this uh, you know, Babbitt businessman next to him. And there, you know, he, he didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? So what do you know about teddy bears? Uh, small, stuffed, bear-shaped. Occasional, when you wear clothing, occasionally don't. <laughs> okay. Well, it was... <laughs> It was developed by two different toy makers on different part, in different parts of the world at the same time. One in the U.S. by a man named Morris Mitchum, and one in Germany by a man named Richard Steiff and his aunt uh, Marguerite Steiff. Okay, they they both named this this uh, plush toy after Teddy Roosevelt, okay. who was president in from 1901 till. 1908, I believe. I cannot confirm with them. Yes. <laughs> and the reason that, that they named it after him was that while he was president, so Roosevelt went on a hunting trip for, for bears in Mississippi in November 1902. And uh, the governor invited him to, to, to go with him. You know, the two of them were going together. And most of them had already killed all of their the, an animal along the way. But uh, Roosevelt hadn't. And apparently one, one, of, one of Roosevelt's attendants captured a bear, tied it to a tree, and they called Roosevelt to come to shoot it. And he actually refused to shoot the bear because he said it was unsportsmanlike. <laughs> Good. Well, yes. I mean... Is it any more sportsmanlike if the bear is out in the wild, not not tied up, given that he still has a gun? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so it's just it's just funny. It's it's a funny little anecdote. Yeah. yeah. You know, or a sad little anecdote, if you want to look at it from that perspective. You know. So you know, you had these two different people in two different parts of the world that saw a political cartoon about this and decided to create a little bear. You know, the, the original teddy bears actually looked like real bears. They would have extended stout, stout snouts and beady eyes. 
but they decided to change it to make them look more cute. Right? Yeah, makes sense. And uh, most were, were originally made from mohair fur, but nowadays most of them use uh, many different fabrics. They use synthetic fur, uh, velour, denim, cotton, satin, and canvas. So as he, he grabs this teddy bear, he starts walking down the, the aisle and he passes this beautiful stewardess who both of them uh, make eye contact. Now, there is a deleted scene from this movie that's an extended, uh, that is an extended shot of this scene where the stewardess says to John McClane, maybe you should have brought her a ticket, bought her a ticket. And McClane says, her? And then he looks down at the crotch of the bear and says, she's underage. And the stewardess response is, I'm not. And then she smiles at him. And so then he continues. And then we, we get to see John McClane walk off the, the plane, quite surprised by this hmm. come on from this stewardess. This stewardess will, will, will in the movie, we're not going to see her ever again, but in the, in the novel, she comes back quite often, but we'll, we'll get to that a little later in today's uh, episode. So then we get a shot inside the, the luggage area and we see a, a luggage carousel which I'm not going to go too much into detail because if I do Die Hard 2, I'll have a lot more to say about it <laughs> at that point. But basically a luggage carousel is, is the idea is, is that, you know, from, a, from the other side of a wall where they have all the mechanisms of the, the airport, they're able to put all the luggage on particular, on, on a conveyor belt that will come out and then people can wait and just grab their, their luggage or someone else's luggage. You know, if, if, if you want to try, which which happens quite often. And as we see this this uh, luggage carousel, well, first of all, what, what type of things do you think are, are not allowed to be on a carousel? You know, like what type of luggage do you think they won't put on a carousel? Um, hmm. So I was guessing like extra bulky stuff maybe won't go on there, things that have... Uh... Right. I found a list of seven things. Uh, seven tied things. up people, perhaps, if you're like human trafficking. Yeah, uh, that would probably, that's probably not a good idea. You keep those, those people are, should be in the bags themselves. Yeah, yeah or, or in, in like the overhead compartments. Yeah, exactly. Or in, if they, they might fit in, in, in you know, the, the space be, between your legs also. <laughs> yeah, underneath the seat in front of you. Yeah, yeah could be. As, as, long as, it can, as long as they can fit like, fully in and not sticking out. Yes. That's, right. The airlines get pretty uh, strict about that. Yeah. That's true. Well, it depends on what airline, but yeah, it's probably probably ones from China have less of a problem with it. Uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> so there are seven things. I'm not going to say how correct you are. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all my listeners in China. Um, <laughs> so, Bye. <laughs> So I found seven a list of seven things that they don't put on these uh, baggage carousels. Okay, I'm going to um, guess that pets are on the. No, 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 no. And I'm talking okay. about inanimate objects. Okay. Uh, inanimate objects. Uh, okay, so you have surfboards. Okay. Wheelchairs, bicycles, yep. strollers, car seats, skis, and one that we're going to discuss when I do die or two, uh, golf clubs. Yes, yeah, I was thinking of surfboards. I'm guessing would be to stop people wanting to climb up there and pretend they're surfing along it. 
<laughs> for no other reason. Well, it's it's usually at an angle also, so it would be yeah. more of a problem just to try and stand on that. It would just that fall point. off. It's too big. Okay. Yeah, I would think so. That, that would be a little bit of a problem. Right, and at this point, we get the title of the movie come on screen. You know, we have the die come from the left-hand side and the, the hard come from the right-hand side, and they are brought together. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, innocuous title card. Yeah, but it's, but I like yeah. it. I, I like the way they do it, you know, just like, you know, and they have a nice little sound as that happens also, you know, like a little pinging sound type of thing. And then we get to see a man having trouble picking up a suitcase off the carousel. And that's how this minute ends. So, Jay, you have anything else to say about this minute? I, I do not. I think it's, it's all been covered. Yeah. All right. So, first of all, we will go to the script. So, the script has a, a few little discrepancies here. So, one of the things that the, the salesman says, instead of saying uh, the secret of surviving air travel, he says the, the secret of successful air travel doesn't really change much. And... Then he, after McLean says to him, fist with your toes, he goes, well, maybe it's not the, not a fist when it's your toes. I mean, like this, work out the time zone tension. And he, like, tries to show him what he's talking about. I don't know how he does that. You know, it's the script, so it doesn't really make a difference. Have, have you ever done this? No. The fist with your toes? No, even though I've seen this movie so many times, I've never even tried it. Because, as you said, by the time I get to my hotel or back home or wherever it is, I've already forgotten about that fact. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Me neither. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying. I'm doing it right now, and it's doing nothing. But I haven't yeah. been on a plane in years. Are you Are you on carpet? Yes. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So it's better than a hot cup of coffee or a shower. I mean, I don't drink coffee, so I couldn't confirm. Neither uh, do I. Not as good as a shower. <laughs> right. <laughs> so in the script, it also mentions that besides saying uh, coffee in a hot shower, he says for the old jet lag. You know, better than a cup of coffee and a hot shower for the old jet lag. So it doesn't really add much there. Also, it mentions that we have that McLean has a Beretta. That's the type of gun that he's he's holding. And in the script, he actually shows him a badge, which makes much more sense than what we see in there. And they have this little scene with the stewardess, which is even more slightly different than it was in the deleted scene. So she uh, she bumps noses with the bear and gives a look. And then she turns to, to McLean and smiles and says, maybe you should have bought her a ticket. He goes, her? He scrutinizes the nether regions of the bear, shrugs. And he goes, she doesn't complain. And then her response is, neither would I. So, I mean, it's a similar type of, of response. Yeah. I, I'm not sure which one I like better. You know, I think... I, I understand why they cut it because it doesn't add anything to the movie. It, it's an integral part of the novel, but here it doesn't make a difference. And then the the, the scene ends on, with the script by saying, McLean smiles with just enough of a sigh to know he's as wistful about things that might have been as she is moves down the aisle. So, you know, it, it again, it's not needed. So the, the novel, one of the things that I mentioned yesterday was that there's an, it starts off in St. Louis and it tells us he spends a lot of time with his stewardess on the flight and the two of them are talking back and forth. He talks to her about some of the cases he's working on. And I mean, in, in the novel, he's a widower or actually, he's actually divorced. Sorry. He's divorced, but his wife has died. Okay. So 
he basically gets her phone number through their conversations and things like that. So, I mean, the, the, the novel goes in, it, it actually spends like three or four pages of the two of them talking while they're on the flight. And she, you know, she gives him extra drinks and, and stuff like that. So it, it plays out much more later, later in the story where she is connected to things. And, and the movie will give us a, a slight little um, shot of, there's a point where McLean looks out at a building across the way and sees a light on. And that's supposed to be a connection to the stewardess, but we'll get there when, when we get there. We we have we have many months to go till we get there, and that that's pretty much the the, the various differences we have between the the script and the the novel and the the final shot of the the final shooting script or the final the final cut of the the film. So every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Special or Holiday Edition. So Jay, why don't you tell everyone a little story about a a adventure or misadventure that that uh, you might have had at some point uh, related to the holidays. Well, I my my story is actually uh, it's a nice bridge between planes, trains, automobiles, and Die Hard. It's a travel holiday story, Ooh. so I thought I'd combine the two to ease your listeners in to this uh, third season of your podcast. So it's it's a New Year's story. Uh, my wife and I started dating thirteen years ago, two thousand nine. Uh, she was in her she was still at university. I had just graduated. And so she went back home for for Christmas, for uh, New Year. It's about a five-hour journey from where I was. And I thought, for New Year, I would surprise her. Because I, I spent Christmas with my family, no plans for New Year. I thought I'd go up and surprise her. So I contacted her family, who I hadn't met at this point, um, and said, I, is it okay if I come up and, and see my wife, girlfriend at the time? Yeah, I was going to say, they, like, they'd get a little surprised if you said, I'd like to come and see my wife. Uh, <laughs> you don't know this yet, but in several years' time, <laughs> uh, I'm a time traveler from now. the future. Yes. <laughs> I've spoken uh, so to my future self. This was a a full, almost military operation in terms of uh, her mum was going to come and pick me up at the airport. Her sister was going to be taking they they got a German Shepherd, Dalsation dog. They're going they're taking her out for a walk when I arrive. Uh, and I I took the train up. I don't drive. I took the train up to to Suffolk, five hours away. And it's the busiest train I've ever been on because it's the train on New Year's Eve. And it was actually, it was uh, uh, five different trains I had to take to get up there. And the last leg going from London up up north was about a two-hour train. I had a, a seat booked. I was going to be sat on this train. Uh, and I got on there and you couldn't move. I got on at the back of the train and said that my seat was in coach A. So I got on in like coach H. And I had to make my way on the train going from H to A. The aisles fully packed, people, chairs all full. And I get through H and I get to G. G is busier than H. F, busier than G. Everyone I get to, I've got backpack. Or I'm just trying to, I'm not a small guy, just trying to weave my way through the people, get through E, busier. D, busier. C, busier. B, busier. I, I, I can see the front of B. And the front of B is just this throng of people. It, you cannot move. I, it's, uh, excuse me, excuse me. I'm just trying to weave my way through, get to the front of B, and there is no coach A. There's just. So the my seat is in Coach A, and there was no Coach A, and I, I just went mm. through all of these all of these people. So I just get to front of B, B, and then the most people I've ever seen in my life in this small space, in like in a post-COVID time, I would have nightmares of this kind of thing. But yeah, I just have to sit and wait with all these people. It's like jammed into a tin of sardines, and then 
we got there. I arrive. It's fine. No problem at all. Uh, the sister's taking the dog out. I get to the parents' house and um, I phone I phone up my girlfriend at the time and say, oh, I just wanted to call you and say how, how your evening's going as I'm coming up the stairs. And I surprise her that I've, I'm here. I've arrived. And she's terrified uh, and surprised. But then uh, it turns out her, her parents weren't all that happy about us, like maybe sharing a room for the night. So she wants to, to stay in separate rooms. I understand that. I respect that. But because they have the dog, uh, the dog didn't know me. It meant that uh, my, my then girlfriend had to sleep on the sofa and I had to sleep in her room because the dog sleeps in, in the lounge and would have uh, spent all night being mad at me and not got on with me. So I, I basically forced my, my then girlfriend to uh, not sleep in her bed for the evening. And then when it came to actually midnight and celebrating midnight, none of them spent it in the same room. They all like, sat in different rooms on different different things and didn't celebrate New Year's at all. And I found that to be very odd. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was a, a good evening. It's obviously led to Culture marriage shock. 13 Culture years shock. later. <laughs> and uh, I then came home the next day. So it was a very expensive one day round trip. Uh, but I don't regret it at all. There you go. That's the important thing. You don't regret it. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Great. Do you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Yes, yeah, so yesterday I plugged Connor the podcast. Today I'll I'll do the the uh the previous one to that Deep Blue Sea the podcast, which was my first cutting films up into small chapters to talk about them. Uh myself and my co-host Mark Hoffmeyer discussed the nineteen ninety-nine Rennie Harlan shark infested masterpiece Deep Blue Sea over over the course of thirty-three DVD chapters, one alternate ending and then one wrap-up post. So thirty-five episodes on deep sea and then we did uh 10 for deep sea 2 and 11 for deep sea 3 because there are three deep sea films uh two of them are really good uh the the, the second one we talked about for two weeks uh they are there is a lot of fun to be had with deep sea 2 and 3 but uh they are they are lesser films than deep sea 1 and then now we are doing deep sea adjacent films which is other films directed by rennie harlan or featuring sharks or aquatic adventure of some kind uh Rob, you were on for Rennie Harlan's first film for Born American. Born American. Uh, <laughs> very recently. Which fits uh, yeah, me having... too. So there you go. There we go. Uh, we're having <laughs> a, a fun time over there looking at those. By the time this podcast comes out, we might have moved from a weekly to a monthly uh, schedule just because of focusing on Con Air. And I find it difficult to focus on two weekly podcasts at the same time. Um but DBC will keep going because we had the director of DBC 3 and we had John Pogon for a, a couple of episodes and he assured us that DBC 4 was on the way and we at the time believed him and we're still hopeful that it will come. So we're going to keep keep going until DBC 4, 5, 6 and beyond. Who knows? Eventually we'll start making them. Yeah. <laughs> and why do that? You can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcast you might be using to listen to this show. Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for a movie or a minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website. So until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. Yippee-ki-yay.